Good morning. Before we get into the sermon, I have two observations today. The first is if we had a big uh, Red Rover tournament amongst the orchestra, Team Keith would far outnumber Team Brenda. Now, you have to remember, Team Brenda is made up of about three families, and they're all on vacation this week. So, that does help a little bit. But, uh, so, Team Keith would, would be far above, you know, have more people than Team Brenda. But, I think Brenda's team, they're known as the Bulldogs, they could probably pull it out. So, um, but then, the second observation is, uh, if you noticed our Guatemala team, as you looked across, it wasn't a team of just teenagers. It wasn't a team of young adults. It wasn't a team of college students. It wasn't a team of senior adults. The team that's going to Guatemala is really what Ivy Creek is all about, and it's, uh, we, we want to emphasize this as much as we can, but just like our worship is intergenerational, where we have two exact same services that uh, we're not going to lock into a certain generation and, and go after a certain generation, our mission trips are the same way. We want everybody to participate, and I think there are things that um, Jaylene can learn from Bill and Pat McCann while we're there in Guatemala serving the Lord. But I think there are things that as we travel and as we serve and as we grow together on that trip that Bill and Pat McCann can learn from Jaylene. So that's really what we're all about uh, at Ivy Creek, and that was just an observation I had uh, before we get really into our sermon. So if you will... Bow with me in prayer. Kind and gracious Heavenly Father, I do thank you for this opportunity uh, to dive into your word and, and figure out what it says. And Lord, we just, I thank you for the Holy Spirit that comes and helps us discern what your scriptures say. Uh, may these words pierce our hearts today. So Father, uh, be with the words that come out of my mouth today. May they glorify and honor you in your precious name, I pray. Amen. All right. Uh, start out with a little story. If you've ever seen the United States Capitol building and looked at the top of it, there's a statue. That statue is called the Freedom Lady. She was placed atop the rotunda of the building as a finishing touch in 1863. This petite lady stands 20 feet tall. A crest of stars frames her face. She holds a shield of stars and stripes in her left hand. As the story goes, the lady, as the lady was being um, brought over from, to America from Italy, where she was sculpt, sculptured, sculpted. You know, I try to create the English language when I'm up here. But when she was sculpted, a fierce storm developed in the Atlantic Ocean. And this boat was going, this ship was going right through that storm. And so as, as the ship uh, continued to travel, they started taking on water. And so the captain of the ship said, just start throwing stuff out. We've got to lighten our load. We've got to get to America. And so as they started throwing stuff out, the crew looked at this statue, which as you can imagine, a stone statue of 20 feet tall weighs a little bit. They're like, Captain, we've got this huge statue. We could lighten the loan pretty easy, uh, pretty quickly, if we could just toss that thing over. over. I'm, sure these, I'm sure these 10 guys could probably do that real easy. But anyway, 
but the captain said, no, never. He, said, he shouted over the wind and the rain and the storms that were coming. He said, we'll flounder before we throw away freedom. And so freedom was saved that day, Our Lady Freedom, and she was placed atop the Capitol building of the United States of America in Washington, D.C. Isn't that what we're celebrating Tuesday? Don't, aren't we celebrating freedom? We take Tuesday, July 4th, and celebrate our freedom. It's a national holiday. We all take off work. We all take time out. And amidst the barbecues and pool parties, we'll take time at some point out of our day to thank God for our freedom. That we'll take time out of our day and remember those that have gone before us that have stood like the captain of our ship for our freedom. And that we would rather die than to give up our freedom. And so we take time out of our day to thank God for our freedom and remember those that came out of, that, that have stood for our freedom because we know that's the only reason we're able to have these barbecues and pool parties. On July 4, 1776, the colonies declared their independence and freedom from England. And something we don't really talk about as part of that story, or, or we don't talk about very much, is that the men that put their names on that Declaration of Independence were essentially signing their death warrants on themselves. They knew that potentially signing a document that declared their independence from their home country could lead to certain death. Because they were willing to put their names down. They knew that people could come after them and make them pay for declaring their independence because the colonies at that point were a cash cow for, the, for England because we were bringing in goods and, and, and developing goods and, and growing things that they couldn't over there and they were enjoying it. And as a great patriot, John Adams said as he was signing the Declaration of Independence, he said, whether we live or die, sink or swim, succeed or fail, I stand behind this Declaration of Independence. And if God wills it, I am ready to die in order that this country might experience freedom. Shouldn't we, as followers of Christ, have that same passion and dedication to defend our freedom that we have in Jesus Christ? Our independence as people is based upon our dependence on Jesus. Our independence as people is based upon our dependence on Jesus. The Declaration of Independence states, We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Did you catch what it said? They are endowed by their Creator. So these certain unalienable rights, the pursuit of our life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness are given to us by God. As we study the first part of 
the fifth chapter of Galatians today. I believe that you will see these very things uh, as we pursue our true freedom in Christ, this life, this liberty, and this pursuit of happiness that we have. Today, we're going to see that true freedom will allow us to freely discover our life, liberty, and our pursuit of that happiness. It will give us a foundation, it will give us a path, and it will give us a challenge that we get straight from this letter that Paul wrote to the church of Galatia. So I invite you, open your Bibles to Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, and read along with me. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. For though the Spirit, by faith, we observe, ourselves eager, we observe ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is filled with, fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. How amazing does chapter 5 start out? This declaration that Paul says, it is for freedom. Christ has set, it for, has set us free. You see, in the first four chapters, Paul has been setting the stage to make that declaration. In the first four chapters, Paul's really, he's done two things. First of all, he has defended his apostleship, which includes the defense of his right to preach the gospel with or without the support of authorities or human authorities. See, in the story of Paul, Paul was not one of the original apostles. He did not spend time uh, one-on-one with Jesus Christ. He was not part of that twelve. And so there were some people out there who were saying, hey, look, you really can't be an apostle. Uh, you have to get your authority from man to preach the gospel because you didn't spend time with Jesus. And so Paul has spent part of the first four chapters of Galatians uh, declaring that he is, he does have that authority. Because of his um, experience on the road to Damascus and meeting Jesus face to face there, that gives him the authority to preach the gospel. And so, and the th- second thing that he does is he has defended the gospel itself. He has spent the, f- the first few chapters showing that it is by grace alone entirely, apart from human works, that the Christian is freed from the curse of the law. 
and brought into a right relationship with God. And so these first four chapters, Paul has said, look, I have the authority from Jesus Christ himself to preach the gospel to you. And so he has defended that. And then the second thing that he does is he defends the gospel itself. You see, what's happened here in the church at Galatia is that new believers, as they came into the faith, they are not Jewish by birth. Up until this time, uh, where the word, where the gospel was growing, uh, had a strong Jewish uh, presence and influence, and so, uh, and and the first believers were Jewish, and so they were Jewish by birth, by heritage, and by customs, um, and and things that happened when you were a Jewish boy uh, that were part of that. And Paul has, has defended and said, "Look." And so where the rub was coming is that the Jewish Christians were telling the Greek new believers, saying, look, if you want to be a true believer in Christ, then you have to be circumcised. Because that's what we did as Jewish people. That is our heritage. We had to be circumcised. So that's part of being a follower of Jesus. Jesus was Jewish. We're Jewish. It's just part of what happened. And so Paul has observed this, and he has been a part of this, and he's trying to teach the church at Galatia. He's like, look, you're missing the point. And so in these first few chapters, he's defended his apostleship, and he's also defended the gospel because the, big, the biggest part of the gospel is that it's by grace that we are saved. It's not anything that you can do in and of yourself. So there's no amount of ritual, there's no amount of things, there's no amount of boxes that you can check that's going to make you saved. You're freed from the curse of the law. And you're brought into a right relationship with God. Now Paul wants to... And, and, and so this is a transition verse. Paul spent time defending his apostleship. He spent time defending the gospel and the gospel of grace... So now he's shifting to what we can do with it. So there's a huge transitional verse that allows that to happen. And he wants to spend the rest of the book to explain this freedom that we have in Christ. It's not a freedom that allows us to do whatever we want, but it's a freedom from the law that frees us up to truly experience grace that leads to a mature responsibility and holiness before God through the power of the Holy Spirit. So Paul's trying to defend all of this, and he does a great job here in the first verse of chapter 5. And so he spent all this time defending the gospel, defending his apostleship, and then he comes to really what, what a verse that sums up Galatians in and of itself. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. This is all that Paul has said prior, and at the very same time, is, is telling the people where he's going. Here's what we're going to cover in the rest of what we're going to do. Here's what we're going to do in the next couple of chapters. So if we're going to study about what true freedom in Christ means and what it can do, this is such an incredible verse to be able to do that with. 
this verse kicks it off and one that leads us to our first point in our outline today. Because understanding true freedom leads to a deeper understanding of our spiritual life. So let me read verses uh, 1 through 6 again. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you, and if you accept circumcision, Christ will no, be no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. Verse 1 gives us a foundation. And this declaration that sums up the book of Galatians, first of all, but also gives us that great foundation for where Paul is headed uh, in this letter. Because of the nature and the true gospel and work of Christ, the believer must turn away from any form of legalism and instead rest in Christ's triumphant work for him and live, and live in the power of Christ's Spirit. Because really what Paul is saying is like, look, for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Because that's not what we were created to be. Live in the freedom that Christ has given you, and that freedom that we get from grace. Because really what this first verse does, it's broken into two parts. The first part is a declaration of Christ's reason for saving us. And the next is an appeal based on that purpose. It's for freedom that Christ has set us free. It's for freedom that Christ died on the cross for your sins. It's so that you can be free from the law. It's so that you will no longer be burdened by having to check things off, by following these certain regulations and rules and things that you've been burdened by for so long. Because really what it comes down to is if we're going to continue to live by the strict law and not embrace grace then there's really no reason Christ needed to die on the cross. Because all of a sudden we go from works, which is under the law, or we go from grace, which we get when, when we accept Jesus and the work that he did on the cross, into works. And that's our own stuff. And that's something we think we can do by ourselves. See, in our spiritual life, we must recognize that the foundation for how God deals with His people is grace through faith rather than legalism. Holiness will never come as a result of uh, someone insisting adherence to either man-made or even God-made regulations. It's much more freeing than that. If we could sit here and follow a certain group of rules or follow, uh, check things off a list and and say, okay, we live a Christian life because we've done this. At what point was it for Christ to die on the cross anyway? And so Paul is continuing to try to, to emphasize this to the people of Galatia. The issue here is 
the issue here with Paul is not, doesn't really have anything to do with circumcision. That's the issue that, that the people of Galatia, that's what they were struggling with. That's where this church was struggling. But it's really more about the theology of the idea of circumcision that Paul was having a problem with. They were putting works above grace. And it was dragging down the church. It was preventing them from growth. And so Paul is taking this opportunity to write them a letter and say, look, here's what's going on. Here's what I see. You're putting works above grace. Don't get caught up in that argument of of what you need to do to be saved. The only salvation comes is accepting the grace of Jesus Christ and accepting His work He did on the cross and His resurrection three days later. And so you're going along, you're saying, Dave, I understand that. I understand that this is a foundation. I understand grace above works. I get it. But then you come to verse 4. And you read verse 4 and he says, You are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. Wait. Dave, we're Baptists, right? Got our name on the sign, Ivy Creek Baptist Church. And, and as Baptists, I always know that you, once saved, always saved, right? You can't lose your salvation. But then Paul writes, right? You, you have fallen away from grace. What do we do with that verse? And some people have used that verse to justify the fact that you can fall away from grace, that you can lose your salvation. And that's really not the point. We have to look at the context of what Paul is saying because Paul is saying, look, you're picking works over grace. And so really what this verse is all about is that it's not God who removed the grace. the people that remove the grace. They have fallen away from grace. God's grace is always there. And as believers and followers of Jesus Christ, we can always sit down and rest in that grace. Because we're not perfect. We tell you every Sunday that people join, you're, 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 you're not joining a perfect church because we're not a perfect staff and we're not perfect people, but we serve perfect God. So when we rest in that grace, we're leaving works behind. And so the people at the church in Galatia, they've left grace behind. They're the ones that left because they've chosen to follow works above grace. So it's not God that removed the grace, it's the people that walked away from grace. But God's grace is always there to catch them and hold them. So Paul is continuing to make his point with this verse that we all fall into the grip of legalism when we leave grace behind. It is us. It is not him who walks away from grace. But then when we get to verses 5 and 6, we see a little bit more of a change. We get this great transition in verse 1. And then Paul explains a little bit of what's going on with the circumcision and the legalism that's happening. And what he's doing here is he's telling in in 2 through 4, he's telling the people what he's observing. It's like, here's what I see. Here's what's going on. 
But then he makes a slight change in, in how he says it. So Paul goes from saying the word you, speaking directly to the people, to a we. Here's what I observe. Here's what I see you doing. Here's what needs to be corrected. Now here's how we are going to do it. And so in verse 5 it says, For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. Paul's giving them a hope. Here's, Here's where grace leads us. We have hope of righteousness. And it really doesn't matter about whether circumcised or uncircumcised. It doesn't matter. Only faith working through love is what matters. And so now that we have this foundation of our spiritual life and the pursuit of our spiritual life, it gives us a great foundation to know that we rest in grace. It's not about works. It's about grace. It's through grace that we can have a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's nothing that we can do nothing that we can say. So now that we have that beautiful foundation, now Paul wants to send us on a path. How can we rest in the work of Jesus Christ? We must truly, as we move on to our second point, embrace the liberty that we have in Christ by staying away from false teachers and false doctrines. So we have liberty in Christ. And so we pick up in verse 7. It says, you were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the, the truth? And really when I read this, I think if you want to put it in modern terms, come on, man. What happened? You were doing so great. You're running the race well. You're doing good. What happened to you? When I was visiting you before, you were doing great. You had accepted Jesus. You were walking in His grace. What happened? Come on. Paul is wondering why they walked away from the liberty that they had in Christ to go to legalism because it was destroying their faith. Because they had this group of people saying, look, if you really want to be saved, it's nothing about the heart. You have to do this. You have to be circumcised if you want to be saved. That's it. Which totally goes against the gospel that that Paul was preaching and the truth of the gospel. It's like, what happened? You're running that race so well and you just tripped. And you fell. But then in verse 8, he reminds us, this persuasion is not from him who calls you. It's like, hey, this isn't from God. just wanted you to know. This isn't something that God wants a part of this church. This This is why I'm writing you. But what has tripped you up is not from God. So as we walk into the spiritual life and we, we understand this grace, to understand it more, we have to get into God's Word. And as we look and, and observe things that are going on, 
the only way that we're going to really recognize false doctrines, the only way that we're really going to recognize false teachers, is we have to be in the Word ourselves. The Holy Spirit that lives inside of me is the same Holy Spirit that lives inside of you if you are a follower of Jesus Christ. Just because I have a master's degree to, of studying the Bible doesn't make me any more qualified to understand God's Scripture. It's the Holy Spirit that helps us discern. And so you can study the Bible just like I do, and I encourage you to do that because when false doctrines come along, and there are a lot of them that are out there, you can hold it up to the true Word of God and go, look, that doesn't, that doesn't jive with what I'm reading in the Bible. That doesn't jive with what the, the Holy Spirit is, is teaching me about His Scripture. So we have to recognize these false doctrines as, as not being from Jesus. They're not part of who He is. And the only way that we can do that is by studying His Word. And that's not out of legalism. It's not something that we, we check off. Oh, study God's Word today. Let's move on. It's because we want to go deeper in our relationship with Christ. And we want to recognize when there's something false in front of us, we want to see it and hold it up against God's Scripture. And then in verse 9, he reminds us. He's like, look, it doesn't take much. He goes, like, when you bake, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. It only takes a little bit of yeast to work through the whole dough to make bread rise. It only takes a little bit of false doctrine to work its way into a church, and it can destroy a church. I've seen far too many churches who are, who are growing and, and affecting the community and, and preaching the gospel, and they bring in different leadership, and that leadership comes in and starts preaching a little bit of false doctrine. It sounds great. They start preaching this false doctrine and, 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 and false teaching, and it destroys the church. And so Paul's giving them this warning. He's like, look, what you're hearing, what has tripped you up, it's not from God. Just I'm going to go ahead and put that out there. It's not from Jesus. And it only takes a little bit of this false doctrine to get into the people of the church before it will destroy the church. Just like yeast and bread... It only takes a little bit to make the dough rise. It only takes a little bit of false doctrine to destroy the church. So just let me warn you. So then he goes into the next couple of verses. He's like, look, if, if I were still preaching this, uh, why am I still being persecuted? You know, you may have heard this early on, but, but that's not, I, I've studied scripture and, and that's different now. He said, the people of the false doctrine, they'll, they'll pay. They will have to answer for the false doctrines and the false teachings that they're teaching. And I want you to know, it's all about, it's about grace. And it's about following Jesus. And so, uh, and really what we come down to of the application of this is, don't let others distract you from the liberty that you have in Christ. It's easy to get caught up in what's going on around you, but if you're studying the Scripture and, and continuing to understand what the grace of Jesus Christ is all about, what the gospel of Jesus Christ is all about, then don't let other things distract you from that pursuit. Don't let other people distract you from that path of having, having the freedom that you have in Jesus Christ. So, 
What do we do with this? We have seen what it means to put grace before works, which gives us a deeper spiritual life. We have also seen that it does not take much to get us off track. It just takes a little bit to kind of veer us in a different way, and, and the enemy has won at that point. So where do we go from here? Paul gives us this final challenge to exercise our freedom, which is our pursuit of true happiness. So we have life, we have liberty in Christ, and we have the pursuit of happiness. So what is happiness? What makes us happy? Obviously, if you look at TV, if you look on the computer, if you listen to the radio, the world's telling you a far bigger thing that will make you happier than what the Bible will tell you. Agreed? Because what the world tells us is that you need a faster car, you need a bigger car, you need a nicer car, you need a bigger house, you need um, <coughs> a little tickle. Um, you need a bigger house, you need a bigger car, you need better golf clubs. Do you hear that? <laughs> I gotta learn to use the ones I got first. Um, But the world tells us all those things. But what the Bible tells us is different. It's different than that. What Paul tells us, it's different than that. You know, the world tells us all these things that that will bring you true happiness. It's really the same difference that Paul uses here. Don't use your freedom to indulge in sinful nature. Use your freedom to serve one another. For you are called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Isn't that where we've come to in America? This freedom that was fought so hard for? Have we really come to this point where it's about bigger, better, faster? Yes, we have freedom to do whatever we want. We live in America. We have the freedom, as long as you stay, you know, we have laws out there that you can't go out and kill somebody or whatever, but we have the freedom to do whatever we want. But should we? I mean, I have the freedom to eat donuts for breakfast every single morning, and I have the freedom to eat pizza every single night for the rest of my life. I have that freedom. Now, it's no coincidence that I had donuts for breakfast yesterday and pizza last night for dinner, but it's not every day. I have that freedom, but, but should I? Should I indulge in that freedom? I mean, I could, but I don't really need to run a marathon every single day of my life. And it really comes to mind this, another Pauline scripture that says everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Under the grace of Jesus Christ, everything is permissible. We have, we have grace. But is everything beneficial? Does it really help us glorify God? Does it help us in our relationship to know Christ better if we engage in those things? What if we spent a little less time serving ourselves 
and spent a little more time serving others. Now, I get it. They say for every finger that you point, there's three pointing back at you. I get it. That's me. Daily, hourly, I have to look back and go, am I serving myself or am I serving others? But if we took a little less time serving ourselves and spent a little more time serving others, how different would America look today? How different would our world look today? As we conclude today, as we close up, a man by the name of Alexis de Tocqueville, and that's probably not how you say it uh, because he's French and there's just no way to pronounce French words, but except croissant. I can say French. I have French toast. I do French toast. I am truly Baptist. I like to eat. So fried chicken, green beans. That's, that's what we have every night. Um, but Alexis, that's what we'll call him for the rest of the time. Alexis, who was a, he's a French writer, a political scientist, a historian, and a politician, and he came to visit America in 1831. As he visited and observed America, which at this point is still a very young nation, he wrote these words. I sought for the greatness of the United States in her commodious harbors, her ample rivers, her fertile fields, and her boundless forests, and it was not there. I sought for her in her rich mines, her vast world com commerce, her public school system, and her, higher, and her institutions of higher learning. And it was not there. I looked for it in her Democratic Congress and her matchless Constitution. And it was not there. Not until I went into the churches of America and heard her pulpits flame with righteousness did I understand the secret of her genius and power. America is great because America is good. And if America ever ceases to be good, America will cease to be great. If Alexis came to America today, would he make the same observation? Has America forgotten its first love and the pursuit of the freedom that she fought so hard for so many years ago? Better yet, uh, change always begins with me. So I have to ask the question of myself, and I think we need to ask the question as a church. Have we forgotten our first love? Have we forgotten the freedom that Christ died for? Have we forgotten the grace? Or have I dropped back into what I know? Have I dropped back into the things that I know are, are church things? But have I dropped back into the legalism that I know and put the heavy yoke of sin only to be constantly dragged down by what this world brings along. It is really only a question you can answer, and we'll have time in just a couple of minutes to, for God to search our hearts and let us ask that question of, have we forgotten about our first love? 
Because remember, the church is made up of people. And so if a church is to reflect Jesus Christ and to show Jesus Christ to our community, then the people inside must reflect Jesus Christ and be showing Jesus to our community. Which leads us to our sermon in a sentence today. In our quest of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, we must realize that true freedom can only be found in a real relationship with Christ that is not weighed down by the burden of legalism and habitual sin. Let's pray.